You're listening to Second on the Mount, a podcast of sermons from Second Presbyterian Church, located on Mountain Avenue in Roanoke, Virginia. We are glad you found us. My name is Elizabeth Link, and I'm the executive pastor. Each week, we climb into the pulpit with a bit of fear and trembling. We hope and pray that what we have to say is true to God's will for the church and may encourage and challenge you on your journey of discipleship. Please rate and review if you enjoy. May the Spirit have some word for you in what we have to share. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from the New Testament Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 46. I've added a few additional verses to what's printed in your bulletin. And I invite you to follow along with the dialogue of the story in your Pew Bible. The reading may be found on page 858 of your Pew Bible. John the Baptizer has just been explaining that he himself is not the Messiah, nor Elijah returned from heaven. John explains that he only baptizes with water, and the one who is coming is far greater than he. He's talking, of course, of Jesus. And so we come to our passage, John 1, beginning with verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the first two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law 
and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. My friend, Jenny McDevitt, writes in her paper for our preaching group that Jesus really seems to get his introductions backwards in this story. As Jesus is walking along, Andrew and another man decide to follow him. He asks them what they are looking for. They, in turn, ask Jesus where he is staying. Come and see, Jesus says, and so they do. Andrew then runs ahead to find his brother Simon, who he brings along to meet Jesus. Jesus takes one look at Simon and says, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas. Now that's not exactly how introductions work. Think about it. When I first met George, for instance, I'm pretty sure the first words I said to him were something like, Hello, my name is Elizabeth. I did not walk up to George at our first meeting and say, Hello, you're George. I already know that, but I'm going to call you Theodore. (laughs) I didn't do that because that would have been weird, and I probably wouldn't have gotten the interview that got me the job. But this is the way that Jesus goes about his introduction. In this moment of introduction, Jesus is supposed to tell us who he is. That is the right order, isn't it? But instead, Jesus tells us who we are. Now, this is particularly interesting because John is the one telling the story. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is never at a loss for words. He has plenty to say. Check your red-letter Bible. You will see that John's Gospel is covered in red ink. And most of what Jesus has to say, especially in John, is about himself. Not because he is arrogant, but because he has two urgent concerns in John. One, to make sure we understand who he is. And two, to make sure we understand what exactly that means. And so, Jesus tells us over and over again, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am I am, I am. And yet, with his first words in this inaugural address, the great I am looks at Simon, the fisherman, and says, you are. When Jesus says, you are Simon, son of John, he is somehow saying, I know you. I know who you are the good, the bad, and everything in between. Then he declares, you are going to be Peter. I think he's saying, not only do I know who you are, I know who you are capable of becoming. Let me introduce you to the very best version of yourself because I have called you by name, and you are mine. In doing this, Jesus created a home for Simon, for Simon Peter, and for us, too. Jesus will call this man to leave family and familiarity behind 
and to follow him into an uncertain future. But home will still be real and true. In giving Simon a new name, Jesus gives him an anchor, something to hold on to no matter how rough or rocky the waves may be, no matter how deep or murky the water may become. Jesus is saying, you belong here with me. I have a hope, a plan, a purpose for you. A name can make a home. Consider how good it feels to hear someone you love say your name, or how it felt to hear your name or nickname spoken up by someone who has long since passed. My name sounded special coming out of my grandparents' mouths. My grandfather had a nickname for me. He simply called me Sis, and I'd love to hear him say that just one more time. My friend, whose nephew is trans, says that when he hears his name, he knows he is safe. In speaking one word, a name, he knows if he is home or not, if he is safe or not, if he is accepted or not. He knows exactly within one word where he stands in his name. What's in a name? For many of us, it seems, quite a lot. And the same is true for Peter. Jesus sees Peter. Jesus names Peter. Jesus gives him a home. Our passage is drenched in the language of looking and seeing. It opens as John the Baptist sees, testifies, and humbly encourages his own disciples to leap so that they may follow Jesus. Jesus then invites those same disciples to keep looking, to come and see. But first he asks them, what are you looking for? This is the first recorded question Jesus asks his disciples in the gospel. It's a question for the ages. What are you looking for? In your heart of hearts, what are you hungry for? What drives you? What are you hoping for? What are you asking for? Perhaps we can understand why these first disciples seem to dodge the question. Perhaps like us, they don't quite know what to say. Instead, they ask Jesus their own question, where are you staying? Which Debbie Thomas takes to mean, where are you headed, Rabbi? Where and how and with whom are you aligned? What will our home look like if we hang out with you? What's our final destination if we follow you? Tell us up front, Jesus, so we can pin you down, locate you, understand you. Jesus' response is as confusing as his out-of-order introduction to Simon Peter. Come and see, he says, which seems to say that we have to follow Jesus all the way if we want to truly know where he is and what he's all about. He is in constant motion. The path that leads to him will only become clear once we decide to walk it. Thus the question we must ask ourselves at every turn is, what are we looking for? Are we looking for Jesus? 
or something else altogether. Come and see. It's a command we are called to follow over and over again as Christians. This is the heart of discipleship, not to hasten the end of our search, but to pursue it ever more deeply and intentionally, to cultivate a willingness to look, a willingness to tell the truth about what we have found, a willingness to venture forth again, even when we don't know where home is. The invitation to come and see is an invitation to leave our comfort zones. To come and see is an invitation to approach all of life with a grace-filled curiosity. To come and see is to enter into the joy of being deeply seen and deeply known. Of course, our seeing can be selective. The selves we present to the world are often layered. And we can be messy. It takes love and patience to sift through our layers to find what lies at the core. But something holy and healing happens when we are deeply seen, known, named, and accepted. Jesus sees John's disciples and calls forth their hunger, their curiosity, and their hope. He looks at Simon and sees Peter, the rock. He looks at us and sees what lies beneath our fear, our sins, our doubts, and misgivings. Is there anything that feels lonelier than the experience of being unseen? Is there anything more life-giving than the experience of being seen for who we truly are? Come and see, Jesus says. The next day, come and see, Philip replies. Whether it's a few days or a few hours, when questioned about who Jesus is and what it might mean, Philip doesn't reach for his own explanations, doesn't even reach for his own words. He's an amazingly quick study of Jesus, and he has already learned the importance, the wisdom of following him. Come and see, Philip says. His first words of ministry as a disciple, witness to Jesus as the long-awaited one. To merely hear about him is not enough. As soon as the invitation to meet him is offered, one cannot help but extend that invitation to others. In his commentary on the Acts of the Apostles, Willie James Jennings writes that the work of the church is to repeat Jesus. Philip embodies this beautifully. The work of our lives as Christians is to believe Jesus when he calls us by name and then to repeat Jesus. The work of our lives as disciples is to remind one another, to remind everyone who will listen to us, that God knows and loves us for who we are, and that God knows us and loves us for who we will yet one day become. The invitation is still open. The invitation is ours. Come and see. Second Presbyterian. Finding Direction by Following Jesus.